you can listen to The Front on your smart speaker every morning. To hear the latest episode, just say, play the news from The Australian. From The Australian, here's what's on The Front. I'm Claire Harvey. It's Wednesday, April 26. The modern revival of Anzac Day is alive and well. Thousands of Australians got up early for chilly dawn services and lined roadways to cheer on our veterans, including some of the very last from World War II. At the going down of the sun and in the morning, we will remember them, lest we forget. Then they gathered around the country to reflect and play a few rounds of two-up before the sun sank below the horizon. Joe Biden is back in the game, defying his critics to launch another run at the White House for next year's presidential election. Thank you, America. That will set him against either a re-energised Donald Trump or another Republican, most likely Florida's firebrand governor Ron DeSantis. In a moment, our political guru Paul Kelly distills five decades of experience into some withering insights into a presidential race that will define America's future and our own. Before he was too old to be taken seriously... The youngest new face in the U.S. Senate next year will be that of Democrat Joseph Biden of Delaware. So young, in fact... He was too young to be believed. A quirky 1972 story for America's ABC News. The boy's looking father of three young children was celebrating his 30th birthday. That makes him just old enough to be a United States Senator, 30 being the minimum age prescribed by the Constitution. In Washington today, he was having trouble convincing some people he really is a senator and having some... The youngest senator, of course, grew up to become history's oldest president, inaugurated at the age of 78. I expect these fellows are going to uh, uh, eventually judge me on my merit, not on my age. And uh... But along the way, he lived more than a lifetime's grief. Here's CBS News. The wife of newly elected Senator Joe Biden and their baby daughter were killed and their two sons badly injured when the Biden family car was broadsided by a truck at this intersection in Delaware. Just after that happy 30th birthday, the young senator lost his wife and daughter and suddenly became a single father to two little boys, Hunter and Beau. Forty years later, Biden spoke off the cuff to grieving military families about his loss in an address captured by America's ABC. My wife was dead, my daughter was dead, and I wasn't sure how my sons were gonna make it. For the first time in my life, I understood how someone could consciously decide to commit suicide. Not because they were deranged, not because they were nuts, because they'd been to the top of the mountain and they just knew in their heart they'd never get there again. By then, he was Barack Obama's vice president, someone respected not just for his experience, but his personal record of surviving tragedy with grace. This is one of my favorite pictures. It's a picture of me and my two boys when they were in high school, when they were in college. In 2015, Biden's eldest son, military veteran Beau, died of a brain tumor. On an episode of The Late Late Show, Biden let a little of his grief show. 
And that's, I, I have it hanging in my bedroom. And, uh, you know, I, I really, uh, I'm really lucky. My, uh, I, I'm really lucky, Ed. Great kids. <clears throat> so, but it's fortunate, fortunate. But it was the behaviour of second son Hunter Biden which turned his strength as a loving, tender dad into a weakness. It's a story with suggestions of a scandal, one that could threaten a presidency. The computer belongs to Hunter Biden, son of Joe, the US president. In America's feverishly polarised political landscape, the various scandals of Hunter Biden just will not go away. And nor will the other major critique of Biden, that while once he was too young, now he's too old. I've been in and out of Iraq and Iran, Iraq and Iran, but Iraq, not Iran, I misspoke, Iraq and Afghanistan over 30 times. Speculation over his mental capacity and his age led many political observers to assume Biden would be a one-term president. It's very clear that Biden and his advisers uh, believe that he can run again, that he's the best candidate for the Democrats, and that if Trump is the Republican contender, then he'll beat Trump, and then he's in a better position to beat Trump more convincingly than last time. So I think they're the calculations being made. Paul Kelly is The Australian's editor-at-large. He's been reporting on politics for more than 50 years. I think the temptation is always great to hang on, but I think in Biden's particular case, there's a political argument for him to hang on. You can imagine there would have to be a debate about whether he can go for another full four-year term. Yet on the other hand, while his poll ratings aren't great, I think there's a feeling within the Democrats, that the Republicans are deeply divided, that they have no credible candidate who can challenge Trump, that the Republican Party is profoundly divided because of Trump, and that if Trump wins the Republican nomination, he'll be a less effective candidate this time than last time. In other words, the ability to defeat the Donald is more important to the Democrats than fitness for an eventual presidency. So, does Biden deserve another shot? When it comes to foreign policy, he's done quite well. He's been really important in providing support to Ukraine. He's been very important in terms of standing up to China and running a very firm strategic line against China. So there have been two fundamental issues that he's handled, I think, reasonably well, certainly. One imagines that he's handled them far better than Trump would have. We're left with the lesser of two evils. I think this is a really interesting point. It is depressing that Biden and Trump are still dominating American politics, but they are. And we don't seem to be in a situation where alternatives to them are coming through in either the Democratic or Republican Party. As the Democrats back the best guy they've got, the Republicans are reeling from a near-total breakdown. Can the party ever be restored to its former glory? That's after the break. My name is Manny Karoudis, and I'm a former New South Wales policeman turned investigative reporter with a passion for missing persons cases. 
I'm here to quickly tell you about our True Crime Australia podcast, The Missing. In this series, I look at old missing persons cases which have all gone cold in an attempt to try and uncover new information which could help see these missing people reunited with their loved ones or any form of clue that could bring these families closure. The Missing is available now wherever you get your podcasts and early and ad-free on Crimex Plus on Apple Podcasts. It's been three long, hard years for the Republican Party since Donald Trump was bounced out of office by Joe Biden. But in that time, the party has done little to wind back the havoc wrought by America's 45th president. The grand old party is no longer so grand, and it's being haunted by the ghosts of presidents past. The problem here is Trump. He's got an incredibly loyal base. He still controls a large segment of the Republican vote. So I think one of the disappointing features of the Republican Party has been the fact that they are still hostage to Trump. Did you think that the Republicans had it in them to recover the spirit of the GOP? Or do you think that the party is now a a shadow of its former self? Well, the party will never go back to what it was before Trump. But we were all hoping that the party would move on beyond Trump and find a new settling political point and was able to find some new point of compromise. But I think so far that hasn't happened and that's been very disappointing. How would a Trump comeback play out? My fear would be that Trump coming back would feel he had things to prove And from what he said on the public record over the last couple of years, the message is that he wasn't tough enough with the Washington establishment, that he wasn't firm enough with his radical policies and breaking away from the establishment. So if that's what he tried to do as president, it suggests that things could get pretty grim. With a second Biden term now a very real prospect, it's worth considering what that could mean for Australia. We're now arguably more embedded with the Americans than we've ever been. First, there was the historic AUKUS deal. Thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. You are the best, you're the best, and we're going to be the best in the world, the three of us. Thank you all very, very much. And then, just this week, the government doubled down on an Australia-US alliance in its Defence Strategic Review. That's why we're investing in our capabilities and we're investing in our relationships to build a more secure Australia and a more stable and prosperous region. It's clear a win for the incumbent would also be a win for Australia, especially where China and Russia are concerned. Biden has been very committed to working with allies and particularly the senior people in his administration. These people know Australia well. We've got a good relationship with them. Biden recognises the threat from China. He's taken a hard line against Russia. So when you put all this together, and if the alternative is Trump's unpredictability, and clearly he'll get up to his old tricks and be looking at doing some sort of deal with China. So I think Trump would be a really significant risk for Australia. 
Do you think if a conflict were to arise over Taiwan that a President Trump would respond in the way that Biden has said he would with military force? President Biden has been extremely firm and he's broken from strategic ambiguity here and has made it clear on a few occasions that if China took military action against Taiwan, the United States would get involved. I think we can surmise from Trump's past record that he would be reluctant and would hesitate to get involved. Of course, there's always the risk that the strength of the Australia-US military alliance could land us too far in the other direction, embroiled in foreign policies that don't align well with our own national interests. We've had an alliance with the United States since 1951. And from time to time, we've had pretty significant disagreements between Australian prime ministers and American presidents. But the point to make about the alliance is that the alliance has transcended individual presidents and prime ministers. And I think that will continue to be the case in the future. The interesting point to make about the uh, Australian government defence strategic review is it's absolutely unambiguous. America is going to be more important to Australia in the future than it's been in the past. So clearly, that means we would like to have a president that we can work effectively with and trust. Paul Kelly is The Australian's editor-at-large. Subscribers to The Australian get first access to all our coverage and analysis of the run-up to next year's US presidential election. You can find us at theaustralian.com.au. Access a world of true crime podcasts on Crimex Plus, where award-winning journalists take a deep dive into unsolved cases. Every week, we're waking up to a dead woman. A dead mother, sister, auntie, grandmother. It's not good enough. From the team that brought you The Teacher's Pet, Shadow of Doubt and Dying Rose, unlock early, ad-free and bonus content from brand new series and flagship shows such as I Catch Killers with Gary Jubilin. One was shot in the mouth and I thought he was dead. Another one had been shot with a shotgun and I got the overspray. Search for Crimex Plus on Apple Podcasts to start digging deep into the world of true crime.